Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rural Spark, the podcast on rural innovation in Canada, both social and economic. I'm your host, Helen Murphy. This week, we wanted to take a look at the role of arts and culture in building stronger communities in rural Canada. And we found a terrific example of a rural community really mobilizing to support and develop the arts as part of its revitalization efforts in Blythe, Ontario. Today, we have the driving force behind this movement, Peter Smith, with us to tell us that story and share his and the community's vision for building a better rural Canada. And that's a vision that really prioritizes renewal through creativity. Hello, Peter, and welcome to Rural Spark. Thank you. Uh, Peter, as we begin today, maybe you can tell us where exactly Blythe, Ontario is, and and how big is that community? That's good. It is a town of 1,003 people, and it is located about 20 minutes in from Lake Huron. It is in the breadbasket of Ontario. That's what the area is known in Huron County. We're about an hour north, hour and a bit north of London. We're about 25 minutes from Goderich, and we're about two and a half hours from Toronto. So we sit in a small rural community, but we're surrounded by millions and millions of people. Right. I like how you do the count as 1,003. Not 1,000, as some people might say. (laughs) Every person counts. Exactly right, yes. Peter, I understand that you're actually from Toronto, the big city. So tell us about how you first discovered Blythe, and what made you want to stay there? Well, I was in the prairies. I come from the arts background. I started off as an actor and got into writing and directing and producing and became artistic director of different companies across Canada. And at this time, I was an actor in Winnipeg, and I met the artistic director of the Blythe Festival. Now, for those listeners who don't know the Blythe Festival, it is a national theatre company devoted to new work. I know Helen from your hometown, Emmy Alcorn, is also involved in new work at Mulgrave Road, which is an incredible establishment. Yeah, absolutely. And Emmy has, in fact, brought a show up to Blythe. I saw it a couple of years ago, which was extraordinary. Anyway, it's a a new play center, and they do four or five shows a year. The shows have toured the world. They have been translated into many different languages, and they're of a rural nature. And they're generally about stories around that area. So in 1985, the artistic director of the company, I'd never heard of Blythe, never heard of Heron County, uh, was directing me in a show in Winnipeg at the Prairie Theatre Exchange. And she said, you know, you should come to Blythe for the summer and work in some new plays. I said, okay, sure, I'll come. So I got booked in. I went down there and uh, got a bus ride, a car ride, uh, planes, trains, automobiles. I ended mm-hmm. up out in this little town. I thought, I have no idea where I am. I probably spelled Blythe with an E as well at that point, Helen, just to let you know. <laughs> and... Um, What I experienced in Blythe was something I hadn't experienced in any other place. And I know that people say that kind of thing, but this is true for me. I do a play. We did new work. We presented it. And the next day I was shopping in the grocery store, Scrimmingers it was called. And someone would come up to me and say, boy, you really missed the mark on that one last night. (laughs) And I'd look at them and think, well, well, who are you? What what are you talking about? And then then if they liked the show, they'd come up and go, that was good. You got that one right. And I found that there was a sense of ownership in this community around creativity. And for me, my love of the place grew from there. My wife was an actress there. Um, my son was born in Clinton, which is just south there, the hospital nearby. So I fell in love with the community, and I fell in love with the idea that there was a heart to rural creativity. And from there, I kept coming back summer after summer, became an associate AD, an artistic director, a couple of times, and um, this project that I'm working on now, the Canadian Center for Rural Creativity, grew out of the last time I was artistic director there in 2013. Right. So my mistake, I had said that you're from Toronto, but you do now kind of divide your time a little bit, do you, from between Toronto and Blythe? 
Correct. Okay. I do. I am. I tell people I live in downtown Toronto and downtown Blythe. I live uh-huh. above the print shop in Blythe, and I live in the east end of Toronto. So I'm kind of getting a very good town and country feel. Also, the perspective is interesting because I'm coming from, you know, the most populated uh, city in, in the country out to one of the smaller municipalities. And I love that, the juxtaposition of that. And also a lot of decisions about rural get made in urban settings, especially in Toronto. And I have a bit of an issue with that. Uh, I think if it's about us, you can't do it without us. I think that expression, the old uh, Latin phrase, which I don't actually remember right now, but Mm -hmm. if you're going to be talking about rural communities, I think you need to be consulting with rural communities. And I know in the past, when I think about the windmills, for example, and there's a whole uh, movement out in uh, in southwestern Ontario where they don't want the the windmills. And it's called unwilling host which is an ancient thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a host, the host relationship is um, to let the guests feel that they are at home, and it is the, the guest uh, responsibility to know that they are not. And something about not consulting or not involving the people who are actually going to be so intimately impacted by the decisions coming out of a city in a rural setting is not only wrong-headed. I think the point is being missed, and you mentioned innovation before we came on air, Without getting connected to the innovation within the community, and there's tons of innovation going on in rural. Helen, you know it mm-hmm. from your work down in um, in Guysboro with Journal, and but also I see it all the time. Innovation used to be called necessity, and on, there's not a farmer in this country or maybe anywhere in the world that hasn't had to figure something out, and it would be called innovation today, or maybe it's called innovation elsewhere. But on the farm, it's called necessity because mm-hmm. you can't always call somebody in to fix something or call somebody in to rectify whatever the issue is you're dealing with. And for me, you've got some of the greatest innovators in the world in rural communities. And to not include them in the process of change or in the process of innovation, I think, is a mistake. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, rural Canadians and rural people anywhere tend to be innovators by nature, because like you say, we yeah. didn't have access over generations. We had to solve our own problems and, and invent our own devices sometimes to uh, make things work, especially in agriculture, as you say. When you first arrived, if we look at the, you know, we want to talk a lot about arts and culture today. I know there's lots of other things that we can get into with you too, because mm-hmm. you really spread your branches out there. But, mm-hmm. but what was the art scene like in Blythe when you first arrived? It wasn't like it was non-existent. You came because of the arts. So they did, I think, have a healthy community there but what was it like there and how have you seen it develop over the years that that you've been coming back and forth to Blythe? Well I think as I mentioned the Blythe Festival or Blythe Center for the Arts it started off maybe the way I'll explain it and how it worked was it's really around a building. Uh, The Blythe Memorial Community Hall was something that probably shouldn't have been built and it was the Women's Institute and many others in the community back after the end of the First World War who said we, um, some people wanted to build a statue, others wanted to build a park to the fallen of the first war. And the WI said, no, we'd like to build a center where the culture that was so valiantly fought for can be presented. And that was their line. And I love that idea. Mm-hmm. And people said, well, you never raise the money to do it. You'll never actually be able to do that. And the women kept at it and they had airplane rides and they had the quilts, bees, and they sold jams. And well, they raised the $25,000 it cost to build the building. And in 1920, they opened Memorial Hall, and it became the center of the community, not just Blythe, but the area around it, because it was a very vibrant farming community. So people would come, they'd gather there for weddings, for political rallies, for cantatas. Alice Monroe was in there, the, the, famous, the world-famous author who yeah. lives in Clinton, just south of Blythe. 
was in there as a young girl. She has many stories about it. They had uh, church suppers and suppers down in the basement. They had funerals. They had uh, every every possible social construct that happened in Memorial Hall. And then in the 70s, it started to fall apart. And people said, well, let's tear it down. It's an eyesore. We'll put it in a parking lot, a little bit like Joni Mitchell, I guess. And anyway, another group came forward and said, well, what if we made a theater here? And people laughed at them and said it was never going to work. And the Blythe Center for the Arts was born. And now there's an art gallery and an orchestra and a, a world-famous theater company that's there. And it started in the 70s. And the building was then given a huge renovation. Well, when I came in 13, there was a leaky roof in the hall. And the leaky roof needed to be repaired. And I said, okay, how much is that? And they said $300,000. And I thought, oh, my, where are we going to get that? And mm -hmm. anyway, we ended up raising about six million dollars wow. we came together we formed a group called the canadian center for world creativity the Blythe 1419 group and over the last six years we've raised the money we've renovated and revitalized the hall and uh, the creativity has continued and the reason i focused on the building as a lighthouse every step of the way people said it wasn't going to happen even when it began they said you'll never get this thing done <sighs> and it got, and it happened and then in the 70s we have to tear it down it's an eyesore Another group came forward and everyone laughed at them and said, you'll never form a theater. And now they're in going to their 45th year. And then the CCRC, the Canadian Center for World Creativity, was born out of a leaky roof. There's something about that structure and its importance to the community where creativity constantly evolves inside of, whether it be in theater, whether it be in social gathering, whether it be in whatever music, whatever it might be, that building for me, I call it the hall calls. And in some ways that's, like that community that that community is filled up with people who are willing to put their shoulder to something and it's generally around the creative thinking creatively um, not taking no for an answer pushing through and then creating something quite beautiful in theater and music and art the art gallery um, amazing shows all summer long uh, the culinary arts that come out of that kitchen now are astounding we have some great chefs in the area who use the hall so to me Blythe is a, is a very special place in that, and I know everyone's rural is special. I get that. I really right. do. And it's their home. But there's something that drew me to that place. And it's, it really centers around the stick to in combination with uh, creative thinking. Well, and it's such a small population there, Peter, and such a big amount of money was raised. I mean, I think there's communities across Canada where they have this kind of aging building that needs work. Do we tear it down? Do we renovate it? Could we have a theater here? Could we develop an arts community here? What made the people of Blythe in such a small area actually give so generously? Like, why do they get it? Well, I think, I guess, let me see, the best way to, to answer that. If you, if you stay long enough in a place, if you show that you're committed to the place, there's hope in that. And I think there's something about that community in the arts, whether it be in dance or music or in theater or what have you, sculpt, painting, that... People are drawn to it. The, the population is 1,003, as I mentioned at the beginning of this thing. But over the summer, between twenty five and 40,000 people visit the festival. The Cowbell Brewery, which is a, a carbon-neutral brewery at the edge of town, they've just uh, invited their 250,000th guest, and they've been open for four years. Wow. I mean, people come to this place, I think, expecting to see something unique. Mm -hmm. And while everyone has a building and everybody might have an arena, for example, or some kind of facility, does it have a legacy? And for me, the narrative that comes out of Blythe is really about that hall. And that, that's the story that I tell wherever I travel. I go, there's something about that hall that demands our commitment and that responsibility. However, however you accept it, whether it's not written, 
somewhere in there is the heart of all of this. And it draws people from around the globe, like the World Talks to World conferences that we've held the last mm -hmm. couple. People have come from around the world to this town of 1,003 people to talk about rural resilience or innovation or what have you. And I think it's really getting started on that. We had a, a bit of a head start in that a hundred years ago, the WI decided that they wanted to build a center that was going to be dedicated to the culture that was fought for. And somewhere in that, in the fight for culture, is I think the reason that Blythe is um, is such a remarkable place. And a great role model in that area. And and what I'm hmm. what I'm inter really interested in, Peter, is how this whole movement around mobilization around arts and culture has really evolved into something bigger. I mean, it could have stopped right there, right? It could have stopped for mm -hmm. Blythe and how do we be helpful and how do we benefit? But then you get into this morphing into this the Canadian Centre for Rural Creativity and this great Rural Talks to Rural Conference. Can you give our listeners a little overview of what those two things are and why they developed? Yeah, so um, when we started the Blythe Arts and Cultural Initiative 1419, and what that means is between 2014 and 2019, which is this year, mm -hmm. we dedicated ourselves to three things. Um, and it started with the leaky roof and then grew from there. The first was the revitalization of the Memorial Hall, which we completed, and it's beautiful. The second was the establishment of the Canadian Centre for Rural Creativity, a creative centre involved in research, involved in experimentation, involved in recommendation, bringing people together in conference, to talk about rural, some of the activities that were going on in other places that could be shared and maybe adapted or adopted in other rural communities. So the shareable idea is really important. Mm -hmm. And the third is to develop something we call the Rural Trust, which is dollars for long-term sustainability. We're not so foolish as to think that we can do this all on hope. Um, we realize that there we need to have dollars and to be able to proceed. We, we're very economical in the way that we spend any money on on whatever we spend money on. But we also understand that there needs to be some dollars in order to proceed. So we developed a trust for that exact reason. So it, it helps out with programming and operations, et cetera. So it's, I don't know, really, and and, and I guess organic might be. And, and, and if really go back to the, the story, Helen, of Memorial Hall and how it started, it, it grew out of, I think, a really honest need. And I think the Women's Institute brought it forward and then everyone went, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. and I think when the Blythe Center for the Arts happened, people were skeptical because they thought, well, we're, we're farmers. Or do, we, do we actually need a theater? Who's going to go to it? But because the stories were of the people, like someone said to me recently, more people buy mirrors than buy paintings because they like <laughs> to see themselves reflected. Right. And I think that the theater reflects that audience. And so they show up to see what, what they look like, what it's the poets who will describe what the experience is. Like when the Berlin Wall came down, uh, a journalist ran up to someone who was t tearing concrete and throwing it aside and said, what, what do you feel right now? And she looked up and very honestly said, I don't know, you'll have to ask our poets. And I think the, the thing about the Blythe Festival is the stories that are told there are told with great respect, but there's humor, there's, there's tragedy, but they're about those people. And I think that's another thing. I think they see themselves reflected. And the Canadian Centre for Rural Creativity grew out of what's going to happen to our rural communities in five years, in three years? How are we doing with regards to healthy setting? What does uh, well-being mean in rural? What do we do with some of the challenges we're facing, whether it be in connectivity or whether it be in innovation and entrepreneurial in, in, in youth migration, aging population, healthcare, all of the transportation, all of the things that every sort of grocery list of every rural community across Canada and maybe around the world is dealing with. How can we 
figure it out for ourselves. As the 4-H say, uh, I guess you learn by doing. And in some ways, the Rural Talks to Rural Conference organically grew out of, how are we going to do this? How are we going to have a healthy and sustainable rural community? And we just said, well, some people are doing some cool stuff elsewhere, like in Whitesburg, Kentucky, or out in Vermont, or across in Saskatchewan. Or is there a way that we could do what they're doing in their place, in our place? And that, and R2R came out of that rural talks to rural, it's rural people talking to rural people. And we've done two of them so far, and uh, they've been really interesting, but they brought people together in and around the idea of a shareable idea. So that's kind of, I guess, in long way of answering your question, Helen, that there is an organic aspect to all of this. And right. maybe it's appropriate that it's in a rural setting where you put seeds in the ground and hope for the best. Right. And that's, you know, what you're trying to get at there is similar to what we're doing here at Rural Spark, of course, is trying to share the stories and bring people together mm. for a dialogue. What are what do you think about, because I, I, I think we still have a long way to go, and I'm sure you agree, mm-hmm. in terms of rural Canada, we tend to be, because we have such pressing issues in our own little individual rural communities. And, you know, we are in different jurisdictions, different provinces, mm. territories. What do you think has to happen more in the years to come to, to actually bring people together for more of the sharing, more of, um, you know, seeing where there's some good ideas that we can, you know, duplicate and scale up and modify to suit other needs. And also for building a stronger voice for rural Canada, Mm -hmm. you know, to bring us together so we can, you know, advocate for rural issues more effectively. You're, you're right. And rural spark, in fact, I mean, your story and what I know of it, I mean, it organically grew out of your, your journalistic background in your newspaper. Right. You went, there's got to be another way of communicating what we're doing here, not only in, in Shadabakto Bay, but also what else is going on out there? Your curiosity has led to rural spark, which right. again, I, th- I think is, is a tool and I'm, I'm finding out, I'm listening to them and they're excellent. Your presentations, they really are. And your own inquiry, your brand of inquiry, what you're after, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out. So I think things like Rural Spark, I think like Rural Talks to Rural, I think things that, that are going on across Canada and in remote communities, I think how do we connect them? I think Rural Spark is one way, r is another way. Mm-hmm. Working on a couple of different projects, and one is called Rurality, and we're in a process right now. I'm working with um, someone named Carolyn Hart from Inspire Hub, and they came to us because of Ardoir. They watched online. We we did the whole thing online this year as well, so people could watch it from away. And oh, she watched. She got a hold of me, and she said, "You need a digital app." I said, "Oh, do I?" And she said, "Yep." I said, "Okay, what does that mean?" And she said, "Well, I'll tell you a bit about my company." And it started in South Africa with the uh, Nelson Mandela family, and they wanted to connect with the rural communities in South Africa. And Inspire Hub was born because of that. And what they did was they figured out a way to communicate what Nelson Mandela was doing and what his thoughts and, and philosophies were with rural constituents because they weren't a part of the dialogue. And it worked out. And from there, she's gone on. She works mostly in the states, but after she saw the Ardoir online, she went. What about rural and remote communities being connected? So in some ways, I'm hoping rurality will be that tool that will be able to connect us to share those ideas. And and Spark, I think it will be a a tool within the box that that has other tools in it. But I'm hoping that rurality becomes something for all of us to be able to use. And right now, we're honestly, we're at the beginning stages of it. It would be a digital app. We could run it out of the CCRC, but ultimately, it would be owned by rural. And the idea there is to not only share ideas, but to connect people, um, some one of the great issues certainly in our area is isolation, that there are people who think differently and 
perhaps because they they don't see their gang out there they actually keep quiet they don't they don't explore what they're what they're thinking about and in some ways i'm hoping a, a tool like rurality may connect an imagination in bayfield ontario with an imagination in sioux lookout ontario or, or someplace in northern saskatchewan that people will find each other through the process of using rurality so that that's one mm-hmm. thing and the other is this national policy creative, which I think I mentioned to you, which is fashioned after um, a project in Holland called the National Think Tank, bringing together some of our brightest minds, PhDs and recent graduates to look at policy that's impeding progress within rural community. I sometimes think that we're living in a kind of a 20th century model and we're trying to constantly shore up the institutions that are there because for fear of if we let that go, we'll never get anything back even close to it, that basically we're going to forfeit our future right. if we don't maintain our education or healthcare as we understand it. I think it's holding us back from being innovative. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that the National Policy Creative and bringing some of our brightest minds together for a period of time, it's a it's a great pro- project and I won't go into all the details of it, but over the four months that the uh, gang are together, they will come up with a series of recommendations for policy, either new policy or with regards to adapting old policy that's kind of holding us back. And I think looking at it from a variety of points of view, uh, from the creative, from the artistic, from the innovative, looking at policy, looking at tools that can be utilized within rural communities, I think it will get to voice. And it's when I said earlier about not about us without us, that we need to be involved in that dialogue. And I think I think with people like you and, and many others that I've met over over my travels, there are some pretty remarkable characters looking, talking in rural, but I don't think we consolidate. We don't come together on particular issues. We're, we're living our own lives in our own communities, yeah. which is important, obviously. But as a voice, I wouldn't say there was a rural voice. I think if you talk about Toronto, there's so much disparate thinking. But when Toronto suits up, and t- starts talking urban, whether it be transportation with, a, with the Ontario government, whatever, it's a big voice. Absolutely. And in some ways, I, rural doesn't do that. We actually, we don't focus down on an issue and go, this is our issue. And I think this, if we can figure that out about what, what is central to rural and remote communities, and I think there are issues that are similar. I think when we can come around an idea or uh, an issue, then I think our voice will start to mature and we'll be able to actually start to have impact on everything from policy to decision-making when it comes to investment. Yeah, and we're getting the impression here at Rural Spark, Peter, and maybe you are as well, that you know maybe the time is right, right? Maybe the ingredients to make this kind of come in. We're just seeing it start a little bit. Some of the things you're doing, what we're seeing in conversation, what we see other people doing, you know, maybe the ingredients are there now to actually see this all scale up into a bit of a national voice and a national sharing. Uh, do you get that impression that maybe the time is here now? I think that's good. Yes, I, I do. I think there are, I mean, again, how we found each other. And mm-hmm. and um, you reached out, you sent me an email, and then the next thing I know, I'm listening to all of your podcasts and going, holy smokes, this is amazing. So, yes, I think I think the time is ripe. I think there's still work to be done. Mm-hmm. I think we do need to include our youth. Um, I think there is, um, and I know it gets said an awful lot, but we have an aging population in rural. We have an aging population in Canada, yeah. not just in rural. And I think the handing over of the reins is, has been 
tricky. I think people are living longer and also people are hanging on to their gigs longer and, and maintaining uh, their activity in the world, which is, I think, a good thing. But it also sometimes precludes uh, younger voices. And I think that's going to be key in all of what we're doing. I mean, we're of a particular vintage. Um, Helen, I'm sure I'm much older than you are. But um, there is a need, I think, to have um, uh, young voices involved in the decision making as well. And the rural, um, the National Policy Creative involves definitely folks under the age of 30 who are involved in research and involved in, in experimentation. And I think that crowd have got to start to impact more, and maybe they already are, but in the rural setting. I see it in urban. I don't see it as much in, in, uh, in, the, in the rural setting. Yeah, I know one of the issues that we want to address in an upcoming episode is around succession planning in rural communities. And we think of businesses in there, but it's not just businesses, right? It's organizational leadership, it's volunteerism, it's the next generation of young people coming along that are going to commit and make things happen in rural communities. So that's, that's another topic we need to dig into. Yeah, no, I, I, I in, in fact, I'm going to a high school next week. I, we put together a bit of a dog and pony show on our Loire, and we invited about 50 high school students from across here in Perth, which are the two counties near Blythe, or Blythe's in here on County, and Perth is where Stratford is. And so we invited them, and they came. We had the Minister of Education there, and we had um, RBC, a senior VP, talking about reskilling in the 21st century, and we had Hans Vanderloo talking about talent, and we had four young entrepreneurs on deck as well. So it was a real mingling of young and experienced and those involved in finance and those involved in policies. We, we threw them all in the same room together with the assembly. It was a really energetic morning. And we're going back out to the to the community and something that we, the, the, the students or the two, two or three high schools that showed up, we're going to do some maps, just rural maps about where they are and what they where they stand. So looking at uh, before uh, the Europeans and then what the place is like now. And then the third map will be what do you imagine in 2030 this Mitchell's going to look like or what, what's your participation? And then we're going to have them text themselves into the future as to uh, what they've done uh, with regard to leaving the campsite better than we found it. And wow. I, I, I hope I continue to learn for hopefully every day, but I think involving our youth at the high school level, at the university level, uh, those that don't go on to uh, secondary, uh, post-secondary uh, institutions are also really important to involve in the, in this process because that ownership that I talked about with regards to Memorial Hall, that needs to be uh, all across rural uh, rural Canada, I think. The, the sense of ownership that mm-hmm. this is my home and I'm willing to fight for it. Absolutely. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for being with us today. I think there's so many things that we've touched on here that we can definitely take a deeper dive on in a future episode. So I think I already flagged for you that uh, I do want to have you um, back on Rural Spark again. And maybe we can have you in studio next time, which is always fun. And um, and we'll look for opportunities. Uh, we've already started that discussion around collaboration to help move this uh, conversation mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, no, it's great, Helen. Thank you, and thanks for the work you're doing. And uh, the fact that you get to look out in Chattabacto Bay uh, when you're down there uh, yeah. makes me very jealous. So uh, <laughs> give my best to Amy when you, when you see her next. I will, absolutely. Thanks again, Peter. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And thanks to all of you for joining us this week on Rural Spark. Our team includes content producer Catherine Murphy and technical producer Tara Seabarth. Music is by Jason Shaw. We wish you all the very best for the week ahead in your part of rural Canada.